0: What's up ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, in the land that is also referred to now as Quagmireville. It is wet, it is horrible, it is shitty, it is spring, slowly going into summer in Australia, Melbourne, but the one that brings sunshine to my life every day Mr. Travis Croft, how are you, my beloved brother?
1: I am fine and dandy. It is uh, welcome to La Nina, uh, <laughs> yeah. Australia, Australia, uh, where we had the record wettest October ever in Victoria. Mm. Um, and I believe it. You live in the wet part of the state, so um, where uh, a few weeks ago I was told, if two blocks further back from me that way, mm. we're told go to higher ground.
2: Oh, because
1: shit, it was like a, really, seriously. So the Maribyrnong River, which is near here, was flooding uh, and did flood and flooded a lot of people out. Uh, mm. Not the race course, fortunately. They were okay. I'm, I'm pleased about that. Well, um, they were flooded out by idiots. Idiots. Um, but, like, literally there's, like, a railway track in between me and the river, like, you have a big gully of a railway track, and you're like, um, okay, how the hell is it going to fill up with water and flood the rest of the neighborhood? I don't know, but um, that's the kind of na- it's the kind of year we're having. It should be moving towards a warmer for warmer part of a year now, but um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, weather says no apparently. Uh, yeah. And you know what?
0: I'm mostly good with that. <laughs> Apart from the flooding, I'm good. I, I'm I'm generally okay with whatever weather we have, as long as it's not in the extremes, ladies and gentlemen. There's no extreme multiple days of forty degrees, no extreme three hundred mils of rain per day for six days in a row, and especially, my I've realised that I'm very paranoid man about natural disasters, maybe because of the 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 effects that have kind of hit me over the last few years, but every time the wind gets above 15 kilometers an hour, I just kind of look out the window and just see the trees, just, you know, gently breezing, just looking as this like, yeah, we could fall. We won't. While you're watching, <laughs> we could. <laughs>
1: and, and this is not meant to be mentioned of floods. We've mentioned wind. We haven't mentioned the number one natural disaster likely to hit George, is bushfire. <laughs> so we're going to be running a poll on the website at the end of the week. What natural disaster is going to hit George next? Is it going to be a <laughs> flood? Is it going to be a bushfire? Is it going to be a tornado? Or will it be giant frogs falling from the sky or locusts? Your choice, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we are taking bets. Um, but we've got
0: a, an interesting show this week, I we, think. We um, have got an eclectic show, ladies and gentlemen. We have watched a few things. Um, we have got our Chain Movie of the Week, which I picked following on from last week's um classic i suppose it is it's it's not really i think it's more than just a cult classic now of mole rats from kevin smith but we follow jason lee from that kind of career defining role in many ways to the mediocre or poorly remembered dream catcher by directed written and directed by lawrence kasdan from a Stephen, uh, Stephen king story um Travis gets to pick this week's chain movie and I have a feeling that I'm gonna do exactly this noise. Uh, I don't know why, I just have that feeling. <laughs> how many
1: how many how many films can I link to that involve professional wrestlers from Drain Catcher? Wait and see. <laughs> oh no.
0: <laughs> um Travis has been watching a, a he always makes my collection of watchings seem like Tarantino to Rodriguez. Mm. His, is, his is the skilled side. Mine is the fun, stupid side. He has watched Argentina 1985, uh, The Tourist on Stan at the moment, and uh, the recent remake of A Star Is Born, while I, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> this week, I experienced Morbin time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have some Morbin going on around here. Yeah. Morbin fascination right now. Um, And finally, I decided why not I'll finish watching Venom at Navy Carnage. I have started watching the new Netflix show, the anthology series, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity first two episodes so far done and we'll see what else we have time for but that is what we are definitely going to hit this week so let us get on with it let us talk about chain movie of the week ladies and gentlemen dream catcher
1: well uh what what inspired you to, to pick this first of all
0: uh Morbid curiosity, the fact that I couldn't get Henry portrayed as a serial killer. Um, and, oh, hang on, um, what am I doing? There we go. Oh, that's wrong. Uh, and I wanted to see if it was something that changed with the, te- uh, with the test of time at all. Um, I am sad to say that on, overall, I don't think time has done anything to this movie, um, except just solidified my memory.
1: This is a very, very, very strange movie. Yes. Um, so as you note, know, the pedigree of those involved in the creation of this is first class AAA gold standard pedigree. Lawrence Castan is our director. You know, uh, If you know the name, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier. Probably best known for writing the best Star Wars film made so far in um, mm-hmm. *The Empire Strikes Back*. He also wrote a little film called *Raiders of the Lost Ark*. He wrote *The Big Kill* mm-hmm. and directed mm-hmm. *The Big Kill* for that matter, which is a fondly remembered film from the '80s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote *The Bodyguard*, which like it I hate it, it was a massive smash hit. It's you know, success, yeah. um, you know the guy is. He's got a massive pedigree as a writer, more than a director.
3: But he's Mm. done some
1: reasonable films as a director as well. Um, The writer of a book that it's based on is Stephen King. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan wrote the script as well. And William Mm. Goldman wrote the screenplay. If you're going, hey, who's William Goldman? And you missed the show last week because we talked a bit about it then. Mm -hmm. He's written some stuff like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the Prisoners Men, The Princess Bride, Marathon Man, Mm
2: -hmm. The Guy
1: again has written some misery the uh if you're talking stephen king stuff uh one of the one of the better stephen king adaptations i mean um the original stepford wives uh he is a a screenwriting legend if not necessarily a household name Hmm. um the acting talent morgan freeman thomas jane jason lee damian lewis timmy oliphant tom sizemore donnie Wahlberg. now that's probably a, apart from Morgan Freeman, probably mm-hmm. isn't exactly triple A cast, but it's a very solid cast of mm-hmm. um, very talented performers, and yeah. this film is batshit crazy as a yep. despite all of that, and not in a good way.
0: No, it's it's a really bizarrely paced movie. It's just a weird story overall. It's. Got some really bizarre kind of choices on 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 who who does what and things like Damian Lewis, Jonesy, and then the kind of parallel uh, kind of possession of Mister Gray, and it's noted in the trivia that he was essentially um, doing a an impression of Malcolm McDowell, which. He does
1: quite well, actually. Yeah, does quite
0: well. But it's a weird fucking choice. This is a weird choice. It's like okay, there's a hyper advanced alien that it seems like these are aliens that have repeatedly come to right, Earth. Let me stop you there. I'm hmm. just going to go through because right now, uh, normally we just sort of play fast
1: and loose with our synopses because we get excited and just want to jump in and start <laughs> talking about it. I th- I think this time. It's kind of necessary.
0: Is it going to help, though? Because probably, friends probably. on a camping trip discover, discover that the town they're vacationing in is being plagued in an unusual fashion by parasitic aliens from outer space.
1: Well, there's a further one here that says four childhood friends, Jonesy, Beaver, Pete and Henry, all share a special secret. Each year they take a trip into the main woods. This year is different. A blizzard occurs and they recover a man found wandering around. Unbeknownst to them, but a wandering individual isn't the only being to be found. Now, they must act fast to stop the outbreak developing and prevent the world from its doom. Now,
0: again, you, know, you can, still kind of wrong. You
1: can, you can kind of, you know, you can write your own storyline plot summary on IDB, you contribute your own. That's by a user a guy named Simon. Thanks. Thanks, Simon, out there, whoever you are, probably a regular listener. Most people are. Yep. Um, I kind of assume the one that it displays on the main page is somehow considered the best, most concise, most easily read and understandable synopsis. I don't know how they choose them because there are mm. a number here. Mm. If that's the fucking best, <laughs> use a contributed summary for this film. Uh, so we have four friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. We learn I think in the first few scenes of a film they possess some kind of psychic ability to be mm-hmm. able to read minds and communicate to, amongst themselves mm-hmm. telepathically if they're within a certain radius of each other i think it's insinuated it to be the case yes we also in that early part of the film learn they are all from Derry, maine and if Which you Which where
0: everyone in Everyone in night.
1: the Stephen King in the King versus from uh, mm-hmm. If you're familiar with Stephen King's work, mm-hmm. uh, you'll quickly recognise that the town of Derry is yeah, a central point in a lot of his stories. Um, it is where it is set,
2: most mm-hmm. famously.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read. Are you read any King's work? I've read a few bits. Yeah. Um, one of my favourites in more recent decades, if you will, is eleven twenty two sixty three. His time travel. Oh non- yeah which turned into a very, very average miniseries for James Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, even in that book, which is not a horror novel by any stretch of imagination, but mm. it's a straight time travel story, which is mm. it's actually a very good book. I'd recommend it. Even in that book, the protagonist visits Derry, Maine and insinuates about the, the evil in that town, the, the it character being in that. So it's a central character in a lot of... Um, King's books. And we mm. even have a flashback to them growing up in, in Derry, Maine, and, you know, some of the shit that they got up to. And in this instance, we see them me, uh, saving uh, a disabled kid from bullies. This mm. kid is called Duddits mm-hmm. and becomes a very important character in, in the film mm-hmm. um, in an incredibly confusing way. Yep. Um, so these two scenes. It's like it's like having jalapeno on ice cream, right? Like it's like chocolate on broccoli. They don't they don't (laughs) mix. They they don't make any sense. Like the first thing, okay, we got to he's randomly telling us you got a bunch of guys who are psychic. Yeah, Um, and some crazy shit happens in that first scene, including Damian Lewis's Jonesy walking randomly out into traffic and being absolutely fucking pulverized by a car. Yeah which he apparently survives, which, you know, yep. if I had them, we could put memes in, I'd put that meme from L.A. Noir, Doubt. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, apparently he's quite fine after that, uh, eventually. Then we cut from that scene to them um, being children it's, in dairy right, Maine. Right, it's, right. like, it's, it's like, it, it feels like, you know, a scene that's been lifted from the It film, it's, you know. It yeah. really, really feels like the It films. It looks like those films. Yes. Um, and you're like, oh, What? Why? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and that sets the tone for this film. You'll have scene one and then scene two. They seem like they're from different stories and different films.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that that disjointed nature of scenes from one to the next persists throughout the whole film. Um, As you say, we are tangentially told little bits of information here and there. Um, But it's in the space of six months, Damien Lewis's character, when he gets hit by a truck, uh, by a car, the only movie where I have seen it purposefully go more to show this guy was hit by a fucking truck was Meet Joe Black, where Brad Pitt's character just walks out and gets hit and then gets hit again in comical fashion, just like, go, yep, he is dead. Six months later, he's perfectly fine. Not anything remotely odd about him. I mean,
1: I I, I think the guy would have died. I mean, he just would have died. Like, he got smashed. Yeah. Um, And two, even if he didn't die somehow and didn't have, like, to live as a vegetable for the rest of your life, he'd be in a fucker wheelchair. I guarantee you that
0: much. Or at least of, like, oh, he's still got some bruising. Six months. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Maybe 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 that maybe he has advanced speed um healing because of his it was a gift to him by Dudditz. Um, so the insinuation is that Dudditz gifted him this psychic ability. Yes. And it's
1: never really explained or shown that he did. Here you go. This is now you got psychic powers. It's sort of hmm. insinuated. They have his the first half of this film, we have all this conversation about Duddits. Well, yeah. doubts can do anything. I know doubts loves me, and you know, and,
0: okay, um, it kind of feels weirdly culty and strangely, almost like um, messiah worship. In a way, the way that they talk about Duddits being the best of us and being perfect and wonderful and he can do everything and I love him and he, I know that he loves me.
1: eh. We never, this is a a perfect example of, uh, we should show us, don't tell, right? They're telling us all this crazy shit about Duddits. Maybe they should have shot some scenes of Duddits doing some crazy otherworldly shit when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, But they explain why they think so hard. We never really actually see, other than them telling us that all this amazing shit that daddies can do until the very end of the film. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to spoil the, ending. I will. We will spoil the ending because trust it me, we're, doing you a, we're seeing you an actual yes. favor. Um, so we have these four friends. They go camping mm-hmm. in the woods. As we know, uh, it, a, they encounter a guy in the woods who's lost or he's got a, a terrible scar or rash on his it's face. Like red rash. Yeah. And two of them are out Doing things. I can't even remember
0: why they left the cabin. Um, Wait, which, which two? The ones uh, it who took the car, or Damien? Uh, uh, what, what was his name? Uh, Jonesy and well, it's Damien, Damien, Jonesy, and I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs>
1: sorry, uh, Beaver. I uh, left at the cabin. The other two go off and I do because
0: because they seem to be like they're hunting or something, and something that's when like they that. see, see this other guy. But I,
1: I may have fallen asleep during that section. I wasn't. It was it was difficult to follow what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, Beaver and Jonesy are left alone at the cabin with mm-hmm. this guy who is um, lost and potentially, mm. you know, uh, unwell. Yeah. It turns out he is actually carrying a parasitic alien inside of him, which escapes from him mm-hmm. whilst using the toilets. and yeah. they call them later in the film "shit weasels." So I think you can join the dots there about which of his orifice. This is not one that bursts out of his chest, ladies and gentlemen. No. Um,
0: And it looks fucking ridiculous. Yes. The the whole sequence of the guy on the toilet and then Beaver trapping the the shit weasel and the whole thing with him and the toothpicks I I don't get that I did it, it frustrated me to the point of really being legitimately annoyed because maybe it's a it's a it's a tick that uh, beaver has of wanting to have a toothpick in his mouth a calming effect But oh, I'm sorry if you're sitting on the crapper and something is going and just Trying to attack you, there's blood, shit, piss, dead body there. Mm. I'm not fucking worrying about a goddamn toothpick. I also don't think I'd want
1: to put a toothpick on that floor in
0: my mouth. Hell no. I mean, yes, they did make a point with the camera to go across all of the spilled toothpicks to find the one on the tile floor that wasn't sitting in blood. It's still a toilet floor. (laughs) And he was so willing and desperate to do it that he sacrificed his ass, ladies and gentlemen. He sacrifices his ass for a toothpick. Come
1: on. Come on, ladies It's... These parasitic aliens... It's just that he is killed in the process of trying to put a toothpick in his mouth. Jonesy encounters a different type of alien, however. Mr. Grey. Mr. Grey, who presents as your stereotypical gray headed alien whose head then explodes in a mist, a red mist and somehow possesses him. And as you noted earlier, this causes him to be possessed. I can stop moving so fast. The camera doesn't like it. Um, uh, <laughs> he possessed by Mr. Gray, who is a malevolent alien of some kind mm-hmm. and wants to use Jonesy's body to uh, escape What we've now learned is a military quarantine of the area. This is very casually thrown out there. Yeah, yeah,
0: it is. And I'm I'm sorry, but so the military element of this, we are very quickly introduced to them being a years in existence, specific Black Ops team that go around and eradicate alien invasions. That... Um, Morgan Freeman's character uh, Colonel Curtis because in the book he's called Colonel Kurtz um, of, course of course yes he keeps on dropping these uh, little nuggets of information about this being another one of blah de blah de blah, blah, blah extermination that people don't trust them blah 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 blah, blah, blah. but they, they've got this whole area in quarantine and the first thing they do, you see them in a helicopter and they're kind of looking down at Beaver and Jonesy, who's like, hey, we've got a sick man down here. And they're sort of like, oh, this area is in quarantine. We should have it organized within the next 24 to 48 hours. Please stay where you are. And just goes away. We've been through a quarantine now, ladies and gentlemen. Mm, that's not how it will be. <laughs> Um, and especially the character of colonel curtis that we are being presented in this way he is unhinged he would not let that sh- sort of shit stand and yet here here there he is in his little helicopter seat just looking down at them headphones on just being morgan freeman <laughs> that's
1: a bad guy though which is interesting it's against type theme. yeah it's true it's true um so this introduces the second the next subplot that we're going to enjoy in this film which feels like oil and water is mm-hmm. this military operation going on at the same time mm-hmm. to con- can contain these aliens who have uh landed on a crashed spaceship did you ever get the thing vibes from this for a few moments in time yeah like yeah. a bad the thing vibes, bad,
0: bad thing vibes
1: I mean, it's essentially it's it's occupying a human host because of an alien in a crashed spaceship in the snow. Um,
0: well, that that seemed this this whole possession thing, as as they as Morgan Freeman's character kind of just throws out there as a hitchhiker, a hypothetical hitchhiker. That's a new idea that these aliens have come up with. I, it doesn't make much sense. It, it doesn't make much sense. I'm sorry.
1: So in this subplot, we meet Tom Sizemore, who yep. is a member of his military unit called the Blue Boy Unit or something of that nature,
0: I think. Yeah. Uh,
1: his name is Owen, and mm-hmm. this is Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore looks deeply, deeply bored to be part of his film.
0: Yes, he does. Yes, um, never. just
1: to, Tom Slauson was capable of that. He does a lot of shit films. Yes. Um This is definitely one of them. There's um, <laughs> a slightly better cast than you usually get with um, him. Uh, and he's picked by, um, by, by, by Curtis um, yeah. to lead this mission. Yes. So he doesn't actually get to do much leading because all the stuff he does, Curtis goes along with him anyway. Yeah. And I think maybe we're supposed to doubt his loyalties because he – talks about having spoken with General Matheson who believes that the infections aren't always, you know, fatal and, you know, it's some people yeah. get better. Um, and, you know, that this it, quite obviously there's some antagonism between Curtis and this other general who has different mm-hmm. thoughts about going about doing these type of quarantine missions. And I think maybe we're supposed to question, oh, which side is Owen on? Is he going to be on – is he going to stab Curtis in the back or is he going to be loyal – they do it extraordinarily poorly. If that's exactly, if that's really yeah. what they plan to do, because you know it was pretty, pretty obvious.
0: And um, yeah. So the, the, we we are we are introduced to um, Owen and Curtis as having worked together for a, a significant amount of time and Curtis is now as keeps on kind of saying this little do all for this shit kind of thing and he's handing off the, the leadership of the blue ball boys um <laughs> very nice <laughs> thank you um to to Owens because he trusts Owens to get the job done and it's like okay so they've got this long established thing but then Owen's kind of uh, morality is changed entirely by Thomas Jane's ability to do mind-reading? I- is it mind-reading that he does? I
1: mean, it's insinuated at the start. He's a psychologist or something, isn't yeah. he? And he's talking to someone, and he starts talking to... He's patient about stuff the patient's done that he's never yeah. told him about. Yeah. I think so. I think we we're meant to... I would call it psychic. He mm. has the ability to read minds, at least.
0: Because mm-hmm. because each of the four guys seems to have developed some kind of ability beyond just the the psychic connection. Like, we are visually shown that Jonesy has warehouse of information and memories that he can move around and access at, at his will. Um, and so we're kind of shown but never told and n- it's never really confirmed as to what his ability is. Does he never forget anything? Um, we don't know. Um, then there's Thomas Jane's character is psychic and uh, Timothy Oliphant's kind of weird motion thing where he can find anything that's lost beaver choose which he fix. uses to get dates what it creepily
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's a creepy thing and timothy oliphant he's an interesting actor i say that being generous
1: i i didn't I, find him he does some good stuff i really liked him in um uh, the Die Hard film he did, Die Hard uh, 4.0. Uh, yeah, um, I thought it yeah. uh, was pretty good. He was good in Go, which we watched for the show a while back. Um, <laughs> he did a fantastic remake of a Georgia marathon called The Crazies about ten years ago. He has his moments, mm.
0: but it's he's, he's he comes off as creepy when he's supposed to just be kind of off kilter, charming. I think, mm. but. Anyway, Thomas Jane is there, he's creepily just standing, just using his psychic abilities to listen in on the conversations between Curtis and Owens, and he manages to very, very, very quickly convince Owens that Curtis is a madman, he's going to kill everyone, needs to contact General Matheson, blah, 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 and they need to go and save slash stop Jonesy.
1: Uh, so, so, you know, this military subplot makes absolutely very little sense in the broader context of a film. It's mm-hmm. very hard to see how it fits with the rest of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a real left-hand, right-hand turn into, mm-hmm. oh, here we go, we're going in a completely different direction for the next half an hour. We don't meet the film's top bill star for 40 minutes, <laughs> interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you noted, there's also a the subplot about what's going on inside Jonesy's head, I assume, mm-hmm. That's the insinuation. His memory warehouse is in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got that going on. We've got the other struggles going on. Thomas Jane doing his thing. It's it's a fucking mess. Uh, you know, uh, it's the ending is a shit show. Mm. Uh, they go and find. So we should note that a couple of Timmy Oliphant and uh, Jason Lee's characters die. They, yep. I think, Jason Lee, I think, was supposed to be the comic relief, and there yep. are moments in this film who are played for laughs, especially yep. Jason Lee's lines. And mm-hmm. obviously, he's great at comedy.
2: Mm-hmm. Which, again,
1: like chocolate and broccoli in this film, just don't fit. Nope. Um, do not nope. fit the moments that they are. As you noted, the toothpick moment was that supposed to be a joke? Um,
0: yeah, I, and- I, I just don't know. It, it's so bizarrely disparate and. Rewatching it now i kind of look at it and go this probably would work better as a tv show because they're trying to have multiple lead characters and story a b and c that fits a tv a limited tv show better the construction of it but at the same time this is a movie so we're going to review it as a movie and it is woefully disjointed and fractured and none of it ever kind of lends in to itself because the military element really doesn't fit with the rest of the story ever. It, it's done sort of competently, but yeah. it doesn't, there's some
1: cool moments in there when they attack for crash a spacecraft and they're flying in and the aliens are psychically putting messages inside their heads. Yeah. And pilots oh, geez, and, and they they're sort of all the big grey headed aliens waving and looking helpless, mm. which is just a, a, a sort of their chamelec. Is that a word? Chameleons. Um they they can put on the they can look different to the way they really are, they can shape, yeah. shape I guess is the way to put it. And then they take their actual form when they start bombing the shit out of the place. And that was a cool moment. It um is. but it, it doesn't fit, it's in the wrong movie, as yeah. usual. Yeah, it's um,
0: it's like that. That should have been a scene in Independence Day Resurgence or whatever they called it. It's like, Okay, they actually managed to touch down. Nope, this is this is just whatever because the military element kind of disappears. Um, we get Thomas Jane and Owens um, going off to pick up Duddits uh, because they need Duddits's help to stop mr gray and oh that's one of the other things that they they introduce right at the beginning when damian lewis's uh jonesy gets hit he's in and out of life slash consciousness in the ambulance and you see a young version of Duddits in his head like, watch out for mr gray um and there's a flashback to them the boys wanting to utilize Dudits's abilities to try and find a missing girl, and he gets confused and says, "Oh, uh, we're trying to save the world." It's so like, "Oh, maybe another time." So like, "Oh, we're looking for Mister Gay," and he's actually referring to Mister Gray. So, there's a lot of backstory that is just thrown in at the last minute. So, like, "Hey, we've introduced this story and like, Oh shit! Quick grenade! <laughs> Throw it in!" And using
1: uh, Donny Wahlberg, by the way plays mm. that in case you're wondering where he comes in um yes you know yes. and a sterlingly um un-pc performance i didn't think he'd do that today yeah um i don't think in fact the character of Daditz is okay today i'm not sure um but um i'll leave that aside for someone else to mm. make their mind mm. up but they bring him in as their secret weapon to mm. to uh, tackle mr gray's it turns out but always thought Dennis was somewhat otherworldly. He wasn't from here. Mm. He's some kind of monster alien as well.
0: Yeah, because it in in more evidence to suggest that Stephen King doesn't quite know how to actually finish his stories, we get a monster versus monster showdown. But I will also say um, in the trivia, they did change the ending. So it is not the same ending as what is in the book, but in the in the movie we have Duddits kind of coming in, he's going, "I, Duddit," And morphing into another one of the aliens, but visually slightly different. She still has the same kind of weird triple pincered tail thing. Um, it, it's a confusing
1: end sequence. And the special effects, even now, twenty-year-old special effects now look terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most of the special effects in this are okay, yeah. um, to solid. Um, the special effects in the closing sequence are tacular.
0: Yeah, and the the plan of Mister Gray. Let's just go into the plan of Mister Gray because Mister Gray's plan is actually seems somewhat simple. But he seems to get sidetracked very easily or confused very easily because he's his job as the hitchhiker, as coined by Colonel Curtis, is to infest and infect a person, not destroy them as every other infected person seems to suffer from, but hijack him and take him out of the quarantine zone and um, get the little larva little eggs into the water supply to then populate the earth. And then as soon as it gets into the water, it's kind of game over for humans. Simple plan. But it seems to take him a long-ass time. <laughs> really long time. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I kind of feel like if I was Mr. Grey, I'd have a little bit more agency about, so like, oh, nope, I'm not going to suddenly have an interesting conversation about how this is, and what, what is a warehouse of yours? I'm really curious about it. No, I was like, I've got a job to do. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and the accent, as you said at the start,
1: is supposed to be a Malcolm McDowell impersonation, which is good, but yeah. inadvertently funny, so amusing. Yeah. Hard to take the bad guy seriously with that accent. Yeah, um, it sounds like he's yeah, it sounds like he should be jumping going into you know, kitty Chitty bang bang and burst into a song and dance routine or something, you know. Um, Dreamcatcher,
0: the musical, um, <laughs> don't give them ideas, man.
1: <laughs> they have it in the musical basement, Stephen King thing to work today. That's just an interesting question. Um, this film is a complete, sh- uh, if you haven't already picked up on it, yeah, this yeah. show is a complete sh- film, is a shit show. Um, I found myself going how did I mean I haven't found any indication online mm. that Lawrence Kazdan had budget problems. or, no. or uh, some other filming issues. drunk stars, people turning up to set late, having control taken off him, getting fired. Yeah.
0: You there's know there's no evidence of production issues
1: whatsoever. So this leads me to believe that this is the film he wanted to
0: make. Yeah. And And, and you said at the start, this guy knows how to write a good film. And he
1: can competently direct films. He's done some reasonable films as a director. Yeah. If this is the screenplay he and Wim Goldman landed on, what the fuck did he think he was spitting out? Um, Like, how do you look at this screenplay? Yeah, that that sounds like a solid movie. This is a fucking horrible movie. And it's the only thing that saves it from being potentially the worst thing we've watched. In a very long time for me, mm-hmm. it's just the fact that it's so ridiculous. It's yeah, it's so silly. It's almost I, like, it's almost it's almost so bad as good.
0: Yeah, this this rewatching it right now, I kind of want the modern day version of the Zucker brothers to go in and do airplane slash flying high of this. Because you could so easily do it. Because this skirt's so close to that thing already. It's weird. It's bizarre. It's stupid. There are so many points where you just go, yeah, that's dumb. And in in the world where we have superheroes that break the fourth wall so much, you could easily have someone break the fourth wall as part of their power that they got from Duddits And I
1: <laughs> I just don't know what they were thinking. I don't yeah. know what this I don't know what this was supposed to be from yeah. a bunch of people who know what they're doing. If this was written by the same guy who wrote Jurassic Shark, hey, okay, look, you know, right, man. You know, you're not in the script writing isn't your strong suit. Okay. Um <laughs> writers of the lost Ark, though. You know, like these people, they know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm mind boggles. Apparently, there's this, in the trivia, it mentions that Lawrence Kazan uh, missed out on other jobs because of a failure of this film, and you're like, well, duh. Um, get punished maybe that was, for bad things. <laughs> maybe that was for the best, you know. Like, um, this is—if you're thinking about going back and watching this again, I mm-hmm. would, um, I would strongly recommend giving this one a miss.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, a hundred percent. It's—it's a weird movie that is worse than I remember yes it went to you i don't think i
1: understood you know what makes it worse is that is that heritage you see is the quality of talent behind it mm. and when you see that you're like oh okay i think i remember being quite excited to see this when it came
0: out and going oh that's a shame yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we have we have shat upon the dream catcher for long enough where are you taking us sir uh we're
1: going in a very different direction and i could have been cruel you choose to be kind. <laughs> I am a malevolent and not a malevolent person. I am a kind and benevolent dictator this week. Um, but I'm gonna go somewhere very unexpected. We're gonna follow Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. And, and we are going way back. There's there were so many obvious places to could go with Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. But I have chosen a lost classic. Oh, we're going yeah. back to his first ever role in 1964. It was an uncredited role, but it's an IMDB. So it counts. Um, and the film is the 1964 film The Porn Broker. The
0: Porn Broker, not Prawn Broker.
1: The Porn the prawn, not The Porn That The, the Porn the um, A Jewish porn broker, victim of Nazi persecution, loses all faith in his fellow man until he realises too late the tragedy of his actions. Uh, so this is an older film, but he, I think you'll have some exits here. We have Sidley Lumet. As the ultimate, as the uh director, of course, uh, incredibly prolific and successful director,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Rod Steiger, yeah, star who was in heaps and heaps of different high quality things, also yeah. stars Brock Peters, uh, famously oh. Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek V and uh, Star Trek yeah. Four and That's Six. I think. Right. Um, so I think you'll you'll be able to get it, might be a little bit more challenging. Oh.
2: But I'll I find think,
1: somewhere. I'm pretty sure there's uh some some exits from from uh, from this one as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I think about these things. I go, am I gonna back George into a corner? Like <laughs> the time we did with Death Machine, and we had to use um who was it to get out of that one? Uh that was
0: um what was his name? Chucky.
1: a <sighs> Worm Tongue, whatever his name. Yeah. Stephen Dorf. Stephen Dorf, that's it. Thank you. Um <laughs> So anyway, I don't <laughs> want to do that to you. We're, we're, you know, I look at the things and go, yeah, these people worked in the films um, yeah. and they have. So um, the porn broker, a little hard to get if you're, a, if, I don't know how you stream it overseas. Um, you, you might have to use less and legal methods if you're having trouble finding it. I am lucky enough to have a copy, which I will be providing to my co-host so we can watch it in the, um, <laughs> the uh, luxury of our own homes without, you know, the MPAA on our doorstep, Mm -hmm. please. (laughs) I have nothing.
0: All right, so the Porn Broker, Um, gonna be interesting to see, because this is one that I've never seen.
1: I've never seen it, I've never heard of it, but it has a 7.7 on IMDB, a 69 Metascore, apparently it's a forgotten classic.
0: Yeah, okay, okay. Ooh, I think I might know where I'm gonna go next, actually. Already got some interesting ones there. Here we come. No,
1: (laughs) I am not gonna put Michelle through that. Oh, you wouldn't have to watch it again. (laughs) Um, what should we talk about next?
0: Uh, well, I would like to talk about another atrocity. I would like to talk about. The latest movie from Paul Feig on Netflix. This is an adaptation of a young adult novel book collection School for Good and Evil, if you do not mind.
1: Very good. I have seen this on Netflix a couple of times. Let me say,
0: this is, it a, is it a film? Mm. Yes, it, it definitely is a film. Um, but I will tell you right now. Do not watch it, ladies and gentlemen. Do not watch it. Because it's utter trash. Utter, utter trash. And every trope and expectation and like, ooh, this is going to change the face of um, modern movie telling. Every possible point in this whole thing that makes you, that they set up as a twist I can see twists coming. This could see the twists coming. They are so painfully obvious. They are worse than the signs that I sometimes put up on screen. (sighs) For the uninitiated, which I hope is everyone. Best friends. So... Sophie and Agatha find themselves on opposite sides of an epic battle when they're swept away into an enchanted school where aspiring heroes and villains are trained to protect the balance between good and evil. This is very clearly trying to kind of cash in on the success of Harry Potter and particularly the fantasy that every child has ever had where they get taken away to a wonderful mystical school where they learn magic or cool things like sword fighting and all of that jazz. Yes. Absolutely. It ticks that box 100%. And it has got quite an interesting cast directed by paul feig who um i'm still not letting out of uh director jail he's terrible um we have the thing about him is he has done some stuff that's actually kind of good
1: spy was pretty good bridesmaids was kind of funny a hot minute freaks and geeks arrested development um yeah, let's not mention who's done some other things that have been Mm -hmm. upsetting, but the guy can
0: do good things. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm guessing this isn't one of them. this This is not one of them. However, it does have one delicious role for Charlize Theron, who, again, she proves that she's one of the best working fucking actresses in the biz because she is the principal of the School of Evil. And she relishes in it. She is not Nicolas Cage chewing the scenery level um, or Jeffrey Rush from Mystery Men kind of level of malevolence on screen or anything like that. But she is clearly having a little bit of fun of just being this pompous authority of evil. Um, the other main big voice, uh, two big um, names in this is Kate Blanchett, who is the voice of the Storian, which is a book that writes these epic fantasy stories that are actually real, ladies and gentlemen, for a change. Yes, I know. The fantasy story is actually based on real events. <gasps> New. <clears throat> <laughs> Um, but Michelle Yao is in this very briefly, and mm, she's done better work. She's had far better roles. This, this, I, 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 if I was her, I would strike my name from IMDb on this one because it ain't worthy. It ain't worthy. I see, worthy of, I of, see
1: of, Lawrence Fishburne in there as well, and yes, yes, Kerry Washington.
0: Yes, yes, they are in it. Um There are people in this movie, and. Mm pretty much all of them do nothing with it um this is it, it has literally got all of the tropes the fact that the two best friends one of them has got black hair the other one has got white hair and got beautiful golden locks and is pretty and gorgeous and the other one and you just look at them straight away and you go okay so i know which school each of those <laughs> is going to be put into then and yep you're not surprised and even the opening the opening is actually interesting and the concept of the of this this book series it seems is an interesting concept where there's there's two schools for good and evil and it is designed to keep the balance you can't have too much good you can't have too much evil otherwise it's imbalance, and everything fucks up every no one wins if one if one side beats the other um but in the opening sequence we are shown that one side does seem to win and guess what it's a twist um and every single step of the way there's nothing new here there's nothing the 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 concept and the um the thought of actually having somewhere where the job is to kind of keep people have these balance these balances and checks in the good and evil columns it's an interesting concept but it's a very flawed concept especially in modern society where the idea of completely good or completely evil is redundant and stupid and because of things like marvel we've seen villains become heroes and heroes become villains to the point where it is a trope now. No one is inherently good or inherently bad and 100% of that all the time. And then there's a lot of rampant sexism of roles in this. And it's intentionally in there, like the, the main characters do kind of fight against that and that is part of the point of it but it's done so badly that the the whole point of having so like love true love's kiss and oh these are the princesses these are the princes and these are the villains and all of that stuff it ends up becoming so fucking
4: boring
0: it's heinously bad the special effects are okay to a point they are serviceable uh, is how i would describe it serviceable but the story the way that it's directed it's just bad it's really bad so this is 100 a double thumbs down for this movie i really hope they don't make any more there two is- hours Two hours, 27 minutes. This is a long yeah. movie. It's a long fucking movie for something that is very obviously targeted for younger audiences. I do not like these long movies, ladies and gentlemen. I do not like the fact that James Cameron has come out and already told us that Avatar, The Way of Water, is going to be in excess of three hours, 20 minutes. Jesus. Yes. That deserves an intermission. It's Fucking stupid is what it is. I'm sorry. If your story takes that long to tell, do it as a fucking series, please. There is enough money being thrown at TV on streaming services to quantify it.
1: If do James it. Cameron said, I want to come out and make Avatar sequels as mini series," tell me <clears> one of the streaming services I'm going to go, where do I sign? Yep. Yeah. I mean, they paid enough for the uh, Lord of the Rings thing and, you know... Yeah. Um, that's split people where we would, you know, a lot of people didn't like mm-hmm. it. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, two and a half hours, like, like we said it when Batman came out earlier in the year. It's like, yeah, if you need three hours to tell a Batman story, it's got to be fucking good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's got to be incredible. Yeah. It wasn't. No. Um, so if you need two and a half hours to tell a young adult good versus evil Harry Potter clone story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's got to be spectacular. Yep. I don't know how long the Harry Potter films were. I think maybe some of the later ones might have edged up. The later somewhere. ones
0: got longer. They definitely the, got The
1: books were thicker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can only take it from what the fans of a series have told me is that they're good stories and people are deeply invested in the characters at that point in time. And hence okay, I will,
0: I will point this out right now. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the first one, two hours, 32 minutes. Wow, okay. Yeah.
1: But well, I mean, I don't know. People seem to like those films a lot more than this one. So I guess you can get it, if you get it right.
0: Yeah. But at um, the same time, people, even even I was aware of Harry Potter as a franchise. I have not heard of the book series, The School for Good and Evil.
1: So everyone's everyone's looking for it, do not they? We've yeah, had per- yeah, Percy what? Jackson. We had those, um, we had The Hunger Games, which were reasonably okay. successful. Um, Maze Runner, all these young adult series, Mm -hmm. um, that have been—they're trying to find the next Harry Potter, and they Mm -hmm.
0: haven't quite
1: got it right. Nope, Um, nope,
0: they have not.
1: Um, anyway, Mm. I was probably—I was very going to already going to give this one a wide berth. Mm -hmm. Then you said it was directed by Paul Feig, and then they got wider. Mm -hmm. thought it was two and a half hours. It got wider still. Yep. (laughs) And now on your review, um you know, it's just daylight. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, there you go. It's a public service announcement for you.
0: Peter. Yeah. I do these things. So you don't have to ladies and gentlemen, um, we are at the 53 minute mark. Have
1: we got to, is it now a good time for our sponsor of the week? Oh, I, I think it a is. Commercial break?
0: Who is our sponsor of the week?
1: Our sponsor of the week is none other than your friend and mine, the WWF. Oh. WWF. Oh, as, it is now uncommonly known as the WWE, mm. uh, and we are going to be sh- highlighting some of the fine athletic contests that you can find in the WWE. I mean, at least you could find it in the WWE in 1988. So, you know.
0: <laughs> we are going back to a dangerous time in the WWF if we're going back to the late 80s, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy!
4: for one fall with a minute time limit introducing in the ring in the corner to my
1: right hailing from somewhere in latin america at a combined weight of 508 pounds the conquistadors <laughs>
4: Combined weight of 469 pounds, the Dynamite Kid, Baby Boy Smith, the British Bulldogs. British Bulldogs minus Matilda making their way down here in Beantown. The take on the Conquistadors, who've really come here to the World Wrestling Federation to set things on fire. They are a hot... yeah, he's pointing a finger at you. Me. Any gestures at me. Huh? He's Could pointing make right any at you. Gestures at me. He's the guy, Davey. You got it right. Where you going? I mean, the brain here taking a lot of heat here from the British Bulldogs. It's not surprising he's gone. Who knows what he did with Matilda? Only time will tell that. But he's out of here. British Bulldogs have not been the same since losing Matilda. You don't know if your brain's gonna return or not. If it were he, I know I would not return. Bell's gone, we're underway here. Well, several weeks ago here on the World Wrestling National Television. The Islanders and Bobby the Brain Heenan up scounded with Matilda, physically dragged her out of the arena in Florida. And no one has seen Heidner hair of her since. Well, referee having a problem here getting uh, two guys to step out here. Looks like Dynamite's ready to bail out, but one of the Conquistas has not made up his mind yet. Well, now we got two guys in and two guys out. <laughs> speed, uh, not much of a factor in this match because both teams have excellent speed. Beautiful moves, counter and recounter. Forward roll and a backward roll and a front flip, a kick by Amy, got out of there. Conquistador off the ropes, shoulder block, nobody moved. Look out, leapfrog. Oh, beautiful slam! He's perched up there. Here comes the other cop, keeps it on. Squashed right on top of him, just like a grape. Well, losing Matilda certainly uh, hasn't put much of a dent in the attack of the British Bulldogs. Beautiful arm drags by Dynamite. Here comes the other one, and one for him as well. Conquistadors are bailing out of there. It's time for them to regroup. Whatever kind of a game plan they had uh, coming into this match uh, certainly has gone by the wayside. Got rid of him in a hurry. Shoulder block. Nice by Dynamite. Ran over him just like a freight train. Look out. step suplex. Yes. Dynamite is back and he's back 100% as is obvious by that beautiful snap suplex Quick tags of course the British Bulldogs former tag team champions of the world Now of course the reigning champions strike force Tito Santana Rick Martel. Boy what a job they're doing Duck underneath a very high clothesline high cross body down to we might have got three there had not the other conquistador stepped in. REFEREE admonishing him about it, but let's be realistic. He's got a five count to get in there and out. I'm sure he was in and out in a lot less than that. Reverse chin lock by Davy Boy. Conquistador very close to his own corner. Oh, now he got dragged right back in there. Davey in trouble. In the wrong part of town. Look at this. From the outside. Doing a number as the referee preoccupied with the other Conquistador.
1: There we go. There we go. Before Someone...
0: the British Bulldogs separated. My goodness. The was- uh,
1: some some devastating moves in there, including the um the reverse chin lock,
0: the flying uh, elbow,
1: almost <laughs> the flying crossbody almost ended it. Um, <laughs> uh, Los Conquistadores were one of my favourite tag teams. Of, I don't From know somewhere in Spain. <laughs> it's just different guys under the mask every week, and I don't know if you ever followed it during the Attitude era. Oh yes, at one at one point, um, Edge and Christian. Uh, won the titles off the of Hardy Boys by dressing up as Los Conquistadors, I and mean, then I think the Hardys mm. did the same thing back to them. It was a whole thing. It was, it was fun. Uh, anyway, quality good... tag team wrestling there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, shall, shall we go to something a little bit more highbrow? Mm, let's do uh, it. I've uh, been revisiting apparently um, films that were nominated for Academy Awards in the past four years that I never watched when they came out, which is you know.
2: Mm-hmm. my
1: bad um mm-hmm. you know if, if the studios would give us free tickets yes let's go. Yes. go we would do that for you
0: you know we just need to get that lovely little envelope in the mail that says for your consideration
1: you know we'd be happy with that
0: um but this week
1: um on a friday night with nothing to watch in you know uh we ended up watching a star is born from 2018 the most recent remake of i think three or four of these um yeah, I think it's the now. fourth version. Uh, the earliest version was from the 1930s. And then there was another one in the 50s with um, Judy Garland. And then there mm-hmm. was one in the 70s with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christofferson. And the most recent adaptation in 2018 starring uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, also uh, written and directed by uh, Bradley Cooper. Mm. Uh, I think it might have been his directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so a musician. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna the, the synopsis here before it disappears mm. on me. Um, a musician helps a young singer find fame as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. Mm. Um, Bradley Cooper plays uh, the character of Jack, um, Jack Jackson Maine,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he is a very famous. Country rock singer, I guess, is the way you'd put it. Mm. Uh, he wears a cowboy hat, but he plays, he plays a loud guitar. Um, <laughs> and we meet him playing a concert in front of a large crowd. Uh, but, but before he goes on stage, we see him downing a handful of pills, which is you know classic, uh, you know, movie shorthand for this guy's a fading rock star with substance abuse problems. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays the show. Um, perfectly competently he gets in the car at the end of a show he's driving um to the airport i think he's insinuated to go to his next gig Mm -hmm. and he finishes his bottle of whiskey in the car and asks his driver played by greg the great grunberg grunberg um he he just pops up in the most unexpected places he was just everywhere he was in star trek beyond the other week um anyway he's the driver no i don't have anything else any of that alcohol in the car so Jack insists on stopping at the nearest bar so he can have some more drinks. It just so happens that bar happens to be a drag club. Um, and uh, it's, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of stands out a bit like a sore thumb there. And yeah, yeah. the doorman's kind of like, Hey, what are you doing here? You know, you're like, I don't think this is your kind of place. He's like, you serve drinks here. He goes, yeah, he goes, my kind of place. Um, oh, he's
0: a good man.
1: And he's he a decent guy. He ends up sitting around drinking for, with the drag queens and stuff like that, uh, watching the show. And he really only is interested in getting drunk getting drunk her. Uh, when out comes Allie. We see Allie finishing her shift as some sort of food service person and with her friend turning up to the uh, drag club to do a performance. And okay. my initial reaction was they let women perform at drag clubs? I mean, I did not think that was a thing. It was, you know, you go to a drag club, you expect a certain kind of performance and it's not, it's not usually an actual, you know, woman um, doing, you know, uh, someone who identifies as a woman, I think should be maybe the way I put it Mm. um, doing a performance. But apparently this is actually how Lady Gaga used to do her thing. Um, She used to do sets at drag clubs because she was so good. They let her play. So I'm, Maybe you're thinking, why is there a woman in a drag club? Because it really happens. Uh, and she does this incredible performance of a Frank song. Jackson's really impressed, really taken with her. He uh, hangs out with her for a while. And so they're not spending the night together. But when I say spend the night together, I don't mean uh, in the uh, biblical sense. Uh, I mean, they literally like <laughs> hang out in like a car park outside the supermarket talking. And she's a songwriter, but she lacks, she lacks all confidence in her abilities. As, a, as a, a, a to succeed as a songwriter and performer, he sort of says, You know, I go in to do these auditions here in a room full of men, and they go, Hey, you sound pretty good, but you don't look so good. Uh, you know, you have got this big nose and stuff like that. And what they've done very nicely is I don't know whether they've deliberately dressed her down or they've gone mm-hmm. in with like no makeup on her, but mm-hmm. she does look fairly plain for what, you know, Lady Gaga is usually a fairly striking. Drunk mm. woman to see, and she's actually they've dressed it down a little bit here. And she does look very plain, which is nicely done. Mm. Um, Jackson's right. completely smitten and taken with her. Uh, the next morning, she wakes up at uh, to her door. Uh, her dad waking her up to a knock at the front door. Her dad is played brilliantly by Andrew Dice Clay. Like, if you don't know who Andrew Dice Clay is, just type his name into YouTube and make sure you're not at work because. <laughs> <laughs> um, because <laughs> uh, he's brand uh, Andrew Dice Clay was best known probably as a stand up comedian in the 80s and early 90s. He was in a very good movie called The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, uh, in the 80s, a bit of a cult film. Um, and he's his stand up was known for being somewhat obscene, I think is a way to put it. Mm. Um, definitely not safe for work, but he's fantastic as a dad. Turns out, uh, her, um, Good old Greg Gutenberg has turned up at the door and he's saying, Jack wants you to come to his next show. And mm-hmm. she says, No, 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 I got to go to work. She rolls up to work. The boss says, You're fucking late. She goes, You know what? Fuck you. And walks out of work and gets in the private jet with her friend, uh, who very quickly disappears from the story. I think he's Ramon. Doesn't come back again <laughs> um, And uh, after he's here, he introduces her to Jackson and then, like, Disappears from the story. Uh, oh. They go, they turn it to Jack's show somewhere else in the United States. At one right. point, um, he actually pulls her up on stage and gets her to sing a duet of a song that of hers that she had shared with him the previous night. And she absolutely fucking kills it. Crowd goes nuts. You know, mm. she goes and she's viral on, on on the internets. Um, mm-hmm. People, you know, looking at her video going, Hey, you know, she's really good. And that is the spark, both for their relationship and her career. She mm-hmm. starts; to go, she ends up going out on tour with him um, and uh, regularly performing duets and songs with him, um, only to, to meet a guy named Rez Gavron, played by Ravi Gavron, of all people, who is your stereotypical sleazy pop impresario. He says, I can make you a star, baby. Okay. Um, at which point her career starts to veer from from Jack's and hence uh, some of the central um, conflict of the story starts to grow. Um, Jack's problems continue. I mean, the thing about this story is you know exactly what it's going to do before it does it, I think, the entire, Mm -hmm. every single step of the way. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit like the, uh, the good and evil thing you were talking about before in the sense that it's telegraphing Everything is going to do. And I, I think, though, that this might be a case of it being the Godfather effect in play here. Mm. You know, if we saw a gangster film today, oh, stupid fishes, you know, give me, an offer, get refuse. You know, it's just, it's, just uh, it's so done, mate. It's so done. But, yeah. you know, the Godfather did it first. So when you see yeah. the Godfather, it seems cliche. That's why we call it the Godfather effect. Yeah. I think this is a 100 years old, this story. I don't know how, I haven't mm. seen the originals. Have assuming, you
0: seen, ha, yeah i was gonna say have you seen any version of a star is
1: Born? no i never have no, um, I'm, I'm guessing that this kind of established those tropes those tropes are tropes because this is such a what it's a famous film it's been done four times now mm. that you know if you see a film like walk the line the johnny cash film mm. you kind of it's the same story really in a lot of yeah. ways not not you know beat for beat but it's a very similar story you feel like you've seen it before but what yes. this film does is it does it with such incredible quality the writing is spectacularly good um i know they've changed some of the roles up a little bit in this one and uh and some of the the names that's and places so in other films i the other versions at least if the, the early two it's about a woman going to hollywood to become and yeah you know, it's then they become engaged you become involved with a Famous and uh, uh, actor who is a fate whose career is fading as mm-hmm. opposed to um, a singer, mm-hmm. it's done differently. I suspect the Barbara Streisand one maybe did as well, considering you know she's a mm-hmm. singer as well. Um, I don't know. Um, and the stars of this film, wow, they are incredible. Like Bradley Cooper has never been better than this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're a Bradley Cooper fan. Um, I turn myself going, wow, he's so good in this. What has he done that comes close to this? And I guess Silver Learning's playbook is pretty good. Um, Got a lot of respect for American Sniper.
0: American Sniper was good. If a little bit too jingoistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he... I don't think he's ever delivered a shit performance, If for, for me at least. I mean, even when he was in um TV show Alias, he was all right. Yeah, he was fine. Um, and he's gotten better as he's gotten more experience in, in Hollywood. And similar, like, I don't know Lady Gaga's music, really. I, she seems to have just appeared out of nowhere and suddenly been like this megastar that... Um, just wears unusual things. But then she started turning up in American Horror Story ser- series. And I was a little confused by that. So like, oh, really? We've got another m- musician. I was nearly going to say magician. <laughs> um, new musician wants to just be, you know, wants, wants to be all over every channel. But then she actually... Was delivering some pretty good performances in some of those things. You're like, okay, I think
1: she's, I think she's a talent. Mm. Um, she's pretty fucking good in this. I, I haven't, I know she was in House of Gucci as well mm. last year, but I haven't seen it, so I can't speak about she that.
0: She is going to be Harley Quinn.
1: I, she could do it. Mm. Uh, maybe. Uh, I think my my first about that is like, yes, yeah, she did pop onto the scene and like, here she is, and you're she, she's like. Oh, all of a sudden she has these massive hit songs that you, like I don't even listen to the radio and I knew all the songs somehow. Mm. Um, but now, you know, I can't remember the last time I heard a new song from Lady Gaga or even mention of new music. I'm uh, into it. Um, maybe <laughs> not exactly plugged into what's happening in the world of pop music, but it almost feels like she released two or three albums of absolute direct pop music, which sold a squillion copies and made her a huge name. Mm-hmm. and then has gone okay cool now I've got the name I can do whatever the fuck I want yeah you yeah. want to make the occasional movie the occasional TV show people are interested because of your name yeah um, that's that's. I don't know that it's not based on anything other than just mm. just the vibe I get but this she and Bradley Cooper aside from both having fantastic performances in this film the chemistry yeah. between them is second to none yeah um, it's outstanding um, the songs are all performed live. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe so. Bradley Cooper apparently practiced guitar for a year with Willie Nelson's son to learn how to play guitar and learn how to look like a musician on stage. Uh, Lady Gaga may have put the auto tune aside for a little while. Um, I'm being taker She actually is a very talented singer. Um, uh, who just happened, like I said, released a bunch of really terrible, terrible mm-hmm. music. Um, As the story progresses and her career starts to soar, obviously, you know, unexpectedly, Jackson's career starts to dive. And it all comes to a massive head at the Grammys, which Mm. looks very much like the Grammys, where she wins the Grammy for Best New Artist. uh, The same night, he has gone on one hell of a drug and booze-fueled bender and um, something shocking happens, which I won't spoil for people uh and that kind of is the nadir of that almost an idea of our story mm. we think there's the then it moves into again i'm really trying to be if you know how this film ends you know how it ends because i think it ends the same way they all end <laughs> so you know like if you already like know and lollipops um M- michelle like figured i knew and she just go oh well this was gonna happen at the end and i'm like I'd never seen any of these before. I didn't know how it ended. Um, but it was okay. I probably could have guessed. It really was. But like um, the uh, the final act is fucking emotionally crushing. Okay. Emotionally crushing, despite the fact that I knew it was going to happen. Despite the fact we saw it coming. The, the, the other incredible performance in this film that really helps in that last part of the film is that by Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott plays Jack's brother Bobby, and I. Speaking of people who don't put in bad performances, mm. there's this Sam Elliott. Like, yeah. What's the first film you think of when I say Sam Elliott? <sighs> it's the first one that came to mind, um, Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski as a stranger, but oh, dude, mm. um, and he's got that voice. Yeah. The other one that comes to mind to me is Roadhouse. I love to in Roadhouse. Oh yeah, Roadhouse. Uh, um, he's. Amazing! They have this um, really heated relationship where at one point um, Jack socks him in the face, and you know because he sold his their father's farm and stuff like that. And oh, they, 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 again, the, the, the passion and the chemistry between uh, Brother mm-hmm. Cooper and Sam Elliott is palpable. You really believe it. There's this incredible scene in a in a, in a car just before the end of the film, and you're just like, Oof, it's gut wrenching. And, you know, um, seriously, if you can keep a straight face at, at that scene after sitting through this film at that point in time, you are made of fucking stone. And then a final scene between uh, uh, Bobby, uh, Sam Elliott's character, and Ali, Lady Gaga's character, at the end of the film mm. is, again, fucking heart-wrenching. This is not a light watch. Mm. This is not a short film. This is two hours and 16 minutes. It's still 10 minutes less than The School of For Good and Evil. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul Feig. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, And yet it tells such an epic story. Yeah. Uh, Without being obviously original or world-breaking, it's a phenomenal story, a brilliant Mm. film, brilliantly made by a first-time director who I think has a huge future as a director if he wants to. Two mm. incredible stars, and it made me go back and go, How the fuck did this film not win any Oscars? Sorry, it mm. won one Oscar, I think it was for like best original, uh, best achievement in music written for motion pictures. So, best original song for the mm. song, uh, shallow, mm. but it lost motion picture of a year, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best adaptive screenplay, best cinematography.
0: Who were the winners there? Um.
1: um uh, the best, uh, I'm gonna have to have a look at that. The best actor that year went to Remy Malik for um, for um, uh, oh,
0: okay.
1: for, um, uh, Rhapsody. uh Bahini Rhapsody. Yeah. And at the time, I was kind of like, he was really good in that, Remy Malik, like, yeah, fantastic as, as, as Freddie Mercury. But when you see this and you're like, oh, actually. Yeah. Actually, I, I, <laughs> uh, you were really – it was a really flashy role for Remy, but, like – and good luck to him, but, like, oh, I think yeah. maybe Bradley should have got that one. Like, um, And I think the rest of them was Christian Bale for Vice, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book, and Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, which I haven't seen, but mm. the other two guys probably went in the picture. The Lost Best Picture to Green Book, which, in, on reflection, is uh, – I don't remember thinking it was a particularly worthy winner that year, Mm. Green Book, it was kind of Oscar baity. It yeah. was an okay film, but it, it, no, mm-mm, sorry, no, um, should not have won. Uh, Black Clansman yeah. was also nominated that year, and that was also a better film than Green Book. Yeah. Um, and uh, Lady Gaga lost best actor to Olivia Coleman, Olivia Coleman for the favorite, which uh. I have not seen, mm. so um, I will reserve judgment on that one, mm. and best supporting actor, um, Sam Elliott was, was I want to say it was Rob because he was incredible in this film, but Maha Charlotte Ali won for Green Book. Um, and he oh, was yeah. good in that. Um, uh, so I I can't, it's a hard one. You know occasionally you have a really good year at the Oscars? Mm. This was a good enough year, but some fantastic performances were overlooked. And then you have years like last year where absolute shit wins, you know, um, because there wasn't a lot of stuff out. But anyway, a Star is Born, if you're like me, you go, eh, I don't know, it looks like it's a country music film or it's a musical or, you know, it's, it's too melodramatic. It really moves along at a nice pace. It doesn't feel slow a lot of the time. The performances are fantastic. The writing's fantastic. The music's actually uh, at an acceptable level. I enjoyed this. You know, no, there's no storytelling through song and, you know, um, <laughs> I, it, it, it was actually kind of, The songs were good. Uh, most of them Um, Mm -hmm. and it's really nice when you start to see the songs that that, um, Ali Lady Gaga's character starts out writing like the song Shallow which they won Mm -hmm. the Academy Award for is a brilliant beautiful song then you see her transition to the song she's singing when she's actually so successful they're saying something without saying something in that because the songs that she ends up singing are fucking awful Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if that's almost a surreptitious nod at her career you know this is the kind of song I would like to have I wrote before I was famous and these are the songs that made me famous. And let's compare the quality of it too. Mm, mm. I'm not basing it on anything. It's just my read of a story, that kind of
0: thing. Um, it's a superb, superb film. Okay, okay. Now I do have the question. Obviously, we are in the um, the time of sequels and prequels. Do you think we are going to get Star Is Born two? <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> I really shouldn't put shit out there. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I, I already have a plot in my head. Uh, uh, a Star is Born 2, Ramon's Revenge. Oh, The best awesome. friend to introduce to the Jack. He used to be even a story. We didn't say where he was. You know, you didn't see him die on screen.
0: He could come back. Exactly. Telenovella rules Always. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, uh, he, he could come back as a were twirling I was going to say, he could, just,
1: he could just be like um, He could turn up as a Yeah, Bader Cooper could play his own twin brother but With a moustache, like uh, David Hasselhoff Used to in uh, Knight Rider back in the 80s
0: <sighs> That was the epitome Of ultimate hero and ultimate Villain right there, David Hasselhoff Good and evil, just mirror images of each other yep. aren't they?
1: <laughs> anyway <laughs> Yeah, they probably will remake it in another 30 or 40 years, so who knows?
0: Well, it seems seems like they haven't had a failure of A Star Is More. It's always been a bit of a darling, so not surprising, really. Now, I would like to talk about something good. Yes. And this comes from Netflix. Really? Yes. It is back to areas of the world that they are traditionally better at is is horror and brought to us by one of the modern masters guillermo del toro i am talking about the cabinet of curiosities well i've been looking at this now i am keen to hear your thoughts this is an interesting um anthology series i'm just going to bring up the um IMB page because i've watched the first two episodes Um, and yes I am behind I am aware of this ladies and gentlemen but the first two episodes are called Lot 36 and Graveyard Rats. Now one of the things that I really love about Guillermo del Toro as a creator is his love for the old school methodology. He still very much uses practical effects in his movies and his narrative style of horror and chiller um, which is kind of a Dead uh, genre in cinema. You don't get chillers anymore. They're they're thrillers or they're horrors or they're just um, sort of like um, gore pornography. Define chiller for me. A chiller is the sort of thing where it's scary without the creepy monster. It is the the fear of the man beside you or the that that kind of sensation of suspense. Something that Alfred Hitchcock was so good at in his movies when he when he was making movies. Um, and it's a very old school um, kind of storytelling, which reminds me of something else I watched. Ah, oh, and uh, yes, I, would, I will talk about the other thing later on. Um, but it's that old school kind of, um, you think of the classic, frankenstein or dracula or the wolfman kind of stories where they were scary without being grotesque with violence it was that chiller that 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 terrifying sensation of walking down a corridor at night and seeing a shadow behind you but nothing ever there and just that The threat of something there, rather than a monster actually being there, or your arm being cut off and being butchered by an evil blah blah blah, whatever. This is much more of your old school narrative style storytelling, and what is particularly nice about this is it is not all Guillermo del Toro doing every episode he has got his finger in every single one of these pies, whether it's an idea by him or the script written by him. He is kind of overseeing and godfathering all of these, and he's bringing in different writers and directors. For is, this example, a, an,
1: is this an anthology series? Are it is an, an anthology series.
0: Yes. So for the first one, Lot 36 is directed by Guillermo Navarro. Now, Guillermo Navarro is not really much of a director that you know, Um, purely because he's only done um, 17 things, but most of them are just TV episodes, so you're not really likely to know his name for that. However, he has been the cinematographer for Guillermo del Toro on a few little films, such as Pan's Labyrinth, Pacific Rim, Kronos. He has worked with Guillermo del Toro on so many things. He is um, a very good cinematographer. He is one of the reasons why Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, looks so fantastic. He is one of the reasons why things like... um, uh, Fuck, what's it called? Uh, Star Trek Discovery have got good production and cinematography.
1: He's also worked with um, some fairly unknown directors. Um, mm-hmm. He was director of photography for a film called Jackie Brown. Um, just a yeah. little indie director named <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. You probably wouldn't have heard of him. No, no, no. Um, no. Uh, another another indie director oh. named um, Robert Rodriguez on films like From <laughs> Dusk Till Dawn and Spike. It's Also indie director. He wouldn't. He's never done anything, but um, no, no, he's, he's never- been around
3: the bush. Yeah, he's done no.
0: some stuff. Yeah. And so this is a real great opportunity for him to kind of spread, spread his wings and start doing a little bit more of the the visible side of direction, as in getting your name on there. Um, this um, lot uh, 36 stars Tim Blake Nelson as Nick Appleton. The only other face in it that I particularly recognize is Sebastian Roche, who is... Is a face that you kind of go, oh, I've seen him in things. And he turns up in a lot of TV stuff, um, like he was in The Man in the High Castle. He was in Fringe. He's been in a few bits and pieces, but he's never really kind of broken out, made a name for himself, so to speak. But it is an ex-veteran buys Storage Locker um, 36, and the, and the contents of it to pay off debts, but buys more than he bargains for when he purchases a lot owned by a strange old man. And this is quintessential um, Tales of the Mysterious kind of thing with Guillermo del Toro come out at the very beginning and talk about um, back in the, the olden times, travel was for the ridiculously wealthy. And so um, there was a whole history and legacy of people who would travel around with cabinets of the curiosities, uh, the tooth of a dangerous creature, the fin of a mermaid and things like that. And they would tell these wonderful tales from all around the world, the far East, the strange West, the unusual subcontinent. And um, so he introduces it in that very old school Alfred Hitchcock um, Tales of the Unexpected kind of manner. And that is absolutely what these are aiming to be. They are 100% disconnected episodes. There's no um, characters that are being brought over. There's no legacy characters are like, oh, that's the great-grandfather of so from the previous episode or anything like that. They're just telling unusual human stories in the same way that Guillermo del Toro does, particularly with Pan's Labyrinth, where there's the supernatural monster world and the human monster world. And how so often the things that are grotesque, covered in spit and multiple eyes and monsters, they may visually look terrifying, but they are nothing compared to the sins of man.
1: Is this a modern day, um, the Twilight Zone?
0: Kind of. Kind of. Um, we, way back in the day, I got you to watch Masters of Horror episode by John Carpenter called Cigarette Burns. And this is very much in the vein of Masters of Horror, where they are, where it is a collection of stories, dis- uh, disconnected horror stories by some greats, getting solid performances in and just telling unusual tales. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but there are a lot of typical tropes of Guillermo del Toro in all these things. There's little subtle nods to Cthulhu throughout all of them, and he is a massive Cthulhu, H.P. Lovecraft fan. Um, Production value is great. The atmospheric storytelling is wonderful. As Tim Blake Nelson is going through these corridors, they've got turn dial timers on the lights, and then they just suddenly go out with a heavy boom, noise and then yes go back out and the sound design is great cranks it up all the way through the lot the the down point for lot 36 for me was the ending and it tried it over explained a lot without actually making sense of anything and so by the end of it i was sort of like okay I'm not really scared anymore, I'm not really chilled, I'm not, I'm not feeling the suspense because you've given me too much information and now there are very obvious holes in the story and it's just annoying. Moving on to episode two, which is The Graveyard Rats. Now, this one is um, a grave robber eyes the riches of a wealthy new arrival to the cemetery, but must survive a maze of tunnels and an army of rodents to secure them. This is an interesting one. It's um, not got anyone in it that I am aware of their work before. Um, the main character is one called Masson, called, uh, played by David Hewlett. Um, Sounded mildly familiar. He's worked with Guillermo del Toro and Nightmare Alley and The Shape of Water. Um, But beyond that, he doesn't seem very familiar, his work. But he does a solid job. And this one's quite a different kind of... (sighs) Forgive the, the unintentional pun, but it's a different animal. There's more comedy to this. Masson is a guy who's um, it, this is set in so like um, a kind of plague era Salem and he's very much down on his luck he seems to be re- well educated and he loves his history and the, he's got a faded nobility to him he's he's someone who has clearly come on hard times either by gambling, bad luck, or some other reason. And now what he does to survive is he caretakes graves to make sure people don't grave rob so that he can do it, hmm. so that he can steal the, the riches and the valuables and things like that. But we are thrown into this story halfway through it because he is he stops these two guys from uh, from robbing a fresh grave so that he can do it, and then he real. Then he hears the scratching, and gnawing. How do they go again? Sorry. How do they go again? Scratching.
1: And...
0: Yeah. So I thought you said yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the rats, and he goes to his sexual pawnbroker with the pieces and disappointing haul. It's pewter rather than. Silver, and he gets told that he has run out of time. He needs to pay, um, pay back, and he kind of rabbits on for a while, talking about the rats, the rats and the tunnels and these underground dark, dark churches that Salem was built atop of, and things like that. So it does a lot of um, world building in this two minutes, three minutes diatribe where he's. It sounds like he's just coming up with excuses for just being shit at what he does but as the story progresses you say go oh yeah the rats are stealing bodies and they're taking them and he ends up going down this rabbit hole or rat hole and finding a lot more and there's elements of it that kind of feel like slight bits of the descent by neil marshall as uh, and the claustrophobia of uh, Masson going through these rat tunnels and basically yeah, there's, there's almost, it's almost farcically funny. He sees this new wealthy man with gold, lots of gold teeth and the, he's going to be buried. He overhears a conversation. He's going to be buried with a very rare scepter that was gifted to him by the prince. And so he goes to get it. And by the time that he's taken off the, fir- the first layer of dirt, he gets to the, Thing and he hears the, I'm not gonna make the fucking noise again because I was mocked, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but People turn in for the sound effects, that's what they watch for. The scratching and he's sort of like, a, oh no, 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 no. He opens it up and the coffin is empty and all he sees is just the legs and sh- um, shoes just disappear quickly into this hole that the rats have burrowed into the grave. And he follows them down and it's like this weird, <laughs> Bizarrely comical tug of war with these rats as he's trying to pull his body back and then he loses and he keeps going deeper into it. And at the same time, at this level of comedy that's there and this progressive step of him trying to do fighting for every gram of gold that he can get his dirty hands on every single piece of success that he can't find is a step further along the path to hell. And the ending is beautiful, it is typical, it is kind of expected, it's pretty much expected if you know these types of stories, they are morality tales. Um, but it's still very satisfying and funny and scary to a point. I... I would recommend watching these randomly. Not necessarily, you don't need to watch them in order or anything like that, but a few of them are available now. I would cherry pick and just read the synopsis. And if it's a, uh, a kind of setting that you kind of like, give it a try. They're about 45 minute, minute long episodes. Production value is great. They look really awesome. They're presented really well. They utilize their time well overall. Um, These are the kind of stories that I've been talking about ad nauseum at this point of, yeah, we're gonna give you a set amount of time. You tell your story within that, make sure it fits. And that's it. And that's great. They utilize the time well. And this is a great opportunity for new directors to come in and just go, yep, I've got a cool idea or essentially be godfathered by one of the kings of cinema at the moment and just go, hey, Guillermo, you've got so many ideas. Have you got one that I can work on? And he's he going, oh, yeah. So there's big rats in Salem. Go on, off you go. <laughs> and he just goes, yep, I'll... Here's, here's some money. Here's the time limit that you have. Here's some actors that I've worked with that I know are solid. Make something. Impress me. And so far, I would rate this pretty pretty well. It's not fantastic. It's not phenomenal stuff yet. I'm Looks here. like you're in for
1: a treat though. Potentially, like these first two episodes, at least according to the and ratings, mm. were not the best in the yeah. series. The next episode has a significantly higher rating mm. than um, if you put any stock in that. Yeah, we had a six point seven and a six point nine for episode one and two. Episode mm. three has an eight um and uh so hopefully you're in for potentially one of the better episodes when you get around to it
0: yeah but um i'm i'm looking forward to watching the rest of them i i love my suspenseful horror i don't find any excitement in the the gore fests that we traditionally get now that call themselves horror they're not scary
1: uh, David S. Goya wrote episode three. So that's interesting. He's very
0: touch and go. We will he say that. He can be very
1: touch and go. Now, you said you remembered something in that review you wanted to talk about.
0: Yes. So I have found a rare diamond in the rough, a very rare Marvel Disney Plus thing that's good. This is that werewolf thing, right? Yes. Werewolf by Nights. And I don't know where this came from. I don't know any point of reference in comics for it, but it's really good. Give um, us uh, a quick rundown. One second Werewolf by Night. It is directed by Michael Gentino, who is a name that most people will know from music. He is the guy that came up with the um, musical score. Well, he did the music score for Lost. Um, He's done fucking Star Wars. He's done so fucking much music. And he is kind of the heir apparent, I suppose, for um, uh, John Williams at this point. He's done Star Trek stuff. He's done done The Incredibles, uh, Jurassic World. He's literally taking over some of the franchises that John Williams did. But Werewolf by Night follows a lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using the abilities given to him by a curse brought on by his bloodline. Now, that explains way more than the show does. And the show does it better. Um, Basically... We follow Gail Garcia Bernal, who is a wonderful actor. Who people will probably look at his face and go, "Oh, I recognise him." He was in *Haito Mama Tambien*, *The Motorcycle Diaries*, *Adriano um More recently, *Old*. Yes, yes, he was in *Old*. Thank you. Um, but he is a absolute joy to watch, and in this, he is doing a very unusual very unique kind of performance we have got also uh laura donnelly who i recognize from when we watched um the nevers the um
1: the show by he you shall not be mentioned
0: yes 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 um and beyond that there's not really anyone in it that i know particularly so what what do you what, what do you like about it give us a give us a quick heads up first up it's in black and white, which is fun because it's almost like a murder mystery, but with a very clandestine, weird group of people. So there's... Gal Garcia Bernal has been invited to this very ostentatious, gothic-looking house with a group of other people, and they all seem to have been gathered because they are the best killers of monsters and there's a little brief scene where um the the hostess is kind of running through and kind of introducing some of the characters and how many people they've killed and uh gil garcia banal's character jack russell he seems very unassuming he's got like markings on his face and things and he's just in a simple suit and he seems a little skittish and then they get to his number and it's like 131 people or something. And everyone just looks at him surprised. And he seems very mild-mannered and I'm assuming almost a little bit um, uh, Dr. Banner kind of thing. And then they're told, okay, the Bloodstone needs an heir. And the Bloodstone is apparently a, um, is a red gem that, allows it the the holder that the the worthiest person to hold it to destroy monsters and they are essentially put, put into a hunger game style scenario where they're going through a maze trying to reclaim this gem that has been violently inserted into a captured monster that they have to kill and then take the stone as their prize. As everyone, as these combatants are going around, Hunger Games style, they can take each other out. They can work with each other if they want to, if they trust each other, but then ultimately only one gets the prize. And this is just wonderful storytelling through visuals more than anything. You get these gorgeous scenarios where people are fighting and the fight sequences are okay. Um, they're not fantastic, but the quality of the conversation and the script that is on display here is excellent. And we slowly, over the course of... Um, how long is it? It's about 52, an hour. 52 minutes. We learn all we need to about these characters through their interactions with each other. There are deaths aplenty, um, betrayals... And the reveal of Jack Russell's werewolf lycanthropic persona is great. They don't overuse it. And to my point with Cabinet of Curiosities of being more old school, they don't show too much of the creature. It's great. It's really good and it's effective. It works. They just see, you see this outline of this massive wolf creature just destroying everything and it's wonderful
1: um cool well that's one to keep an eye out for i think yeah. a couple of people have given me the heads up that mm. it's one of the better disney marvel things yeah. remarkably the people who wrote it are the people behind direct like moon knight and hawkeye um so hey maybe they just got a little felicia with this one mm. um it's weird it's uh kind of a, it's an hour long so it's it's not a tv show episode mm. sort of length it's not mm. a movie length it's yeah. Hey, but hateful, as we've always said, you've got your TV channel. Do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, Make, make the rules. Tell the story how you want to tell it, yep. as long as you want to tell it. So mm-hmm. um, I will have to try and find time to mm-hmm. watch that because uh, I'm not sure. I mean, mm, I'm not sure if I trust them enough yet. I've been hurt before.
0: Yes, I, I know. Yeah, there's only so many times you can go back to a bad relationship.
1: It's <laughs> like Andor, Andor, the new Star Wars series. Everybody's saying it's the best thing. One of the mm-hmm. better ones they've done, and I'm like, "Sorry, can't trust them." Sorry, I'll be one with shit. Um, yep. you've 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 done your dough with me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah. rush back to Disney Plus for a Marvel or Star Wars material anytime soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is a high endorsement from you. Yeah. it was it was unexpected delight. Unexpected delight. That is not <laughs> something you
1: often associate with Disney Plus.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, and I'm glad to hear it. It's nice mm. to come. Nice to be surprised. Surprises. Mm, I like being surprised. Yes. And I was surprised by a thing I will finish my evening with, mm. and uh, that is the uh, HBO Max original *The Tourist*. It is That's airing cool. in Australia on Stan. Mm. Um, and interestingly, they BBC has commissioned a second season. So. Um, mm. Okay. It by a different company, a different organisation. Uh, reason I discovered this is because of the main star. The main star is Jamie Dornan. He, of course, of Mister Grey, mm-hmm. for uh, most famously uh, starred in the Fifty Shades of um, series of films. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen one of them? Uh, no. Nor have I, and I'm very happy to keep it that way. Yeah. Yes, I am
0: absolutely <laughs> happy to not watch those
1: movies. <laughs> I'm um, I'm I've, I've heard enough. So uh, this is a very different role for him. This is shot and uh, made in obviously is in set in street and shot in Australia. Mm. When a man wakes up in the Australian outback with no memory, he must use the few clues he has to discover his identity before his past catches up with him. The man is played by Jamie Dornan. Mm. Uh, he is a he is. Actually British, I'm guessing. Um, or... Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, well, he's
0: not Northern Ireland,
1: so no. Yeah, he's,
0: he's Northern Irish. Uh, we don't want to piss anyone off.
1: That's a, a great scene in the original um, Ted Lasso commercial where he's like, how many countries are in this country? Four. Four. Um, so, <laughs> um, He's Northern Irish. <laughs> so he's, I don't know what you've got. Northern Irish, I guess. Do they, are Northern Irish people British? I don't know. Um, and he's from the UK. Um, and he is driving a shitbox car through the outback. We see him stopping for petrol and being a mm. smart ass trying to get the toilet for the key, the key for the toilet from mm-hmm. the attendant. And while he's driving his absolute shitbox car through the middle of the outback, his huge truck comes out of nowhere. And in the first, two minutes to three minutes of film, we have a rerun of the Steven Spielberg classic Duel. Have you ever seen <laughs> the Duel? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay. Um, where this car, within, you know, within a matter of minutes, we can see this, car, this truck comes on in a really menacing manner and is tailgating and smashing into the back of this guy's car, leading okay. to a bonkers crazy car chase between off-road car chase through the outback between a semi-trailer and uh, like a 1987 Ford laser, um, you know, the shitbox car through Mm -hmm. the dust and the outback. And it all ends with the man's car being absolutely poleaxed by this truck just after he thought he got away. What that tells us, this is, you were talking a moment ago about storytelling through visuals. And we mm. talked earlier about storytelling, th- where they do it badly through telling. Mm. This first five six minutes of a story, where we we basically he's Polax and the man later wakes up in in hospital with amnesia. That's the mm. setup for our story. But that first five minutes, we learn a little bit about this guy. He can handle a car, like he has balls. Like he does not actually, you know, like imagine if you and me were driving our car through you know the middle of the outback, and all of a sudden a semi trailers. You know, menacing you, trying to run you off the road and kill you, you'd be a little bit upset. This guy does, not he's cool and calm and keeps his head on his shoulders and mm. seems like he has this is entirely unexpected. Fit. This isn't the first time someone's tried to kill him. Mm. Um, and this is all things you learn not by anybody telling us anything, just by what he does, by his actions, what, this, mm. what the show tells us. Perfectly done. He wakes up with amnesia, it's a bit of a trope. Um, he meets uh, our other um, protagonist in the story, da- played by Danielle McDonald, Helen Chambers, who is a probationary constable in the town of Burnt Ridge. <laughs> it's a great Australian place names here uh, yeah. who are not real. Uh, and she's a very easygoing, um, uh, happy-go-lucky um, kind of character, but deeply lacking in self-confidence.
2: Okay. Um,
1: uh, and she has been assigned to talk. Him to try and figure out who he is, what's going on. Um, and that becomes her arc for the story. At least we we are three two episodes in only, so I haven't seen yeah. series yet. They are about an hour long, and she wants to work with him to try and figure out who he is and what happened to him. Um, but again, just as an example of beautiful storytelling without actually just, just going around going, This is who the character is, like in Dreamcatcher. We see her in the first episode. Uh, on her way home from the hospital after interviewing the man, go through a really crappy Australian drive-thru and buy a chicken burger and be convinced to upsize with the cheese pockets by the uh, drive-thru attendant. <laughs> Only the later in the episode go to a knockoff version of Weight Watchers with her fiancé. Um, and after eating the chicken burger, she stuffs the wrapper inside the glove box so he won't see it. Um, again, again, we're telling us something about who this character is, her situation. We're telling us something about her relationship with her fiance here, mm. but we haven't said anything. No one has yeah. to say it. Their actions and what they how they act that they do on the screen tells us these things. In case you're thinking, well, what do you mean by show versus tell?" This is show. This is mm-hmm. how you do it. Um, as the the only thing. The man has, it could possibly point to who he, his uh, identity is. He has a piece of paper in his pocket with the name of a town, a cafe, mm-hmm. a name and a time. So I can't remember what the name is. He's got to go to this cafe at a certain time on a date to meet this person. Right. So um, he uh, gets gets a lift. Uh, so he gets money to get the bus to this town and goes to the cafe at, the, at the, uh, a lot of time to uh, see if this person can turn up and tell him who he is from there he actually meets uh the other main character in the story whose name is lucy uh he goes lucy goes to show him the toilet which is next door because their toilet's broken while he's walking across the street to get to the toilet with lucy something happens that changes the story completely and really does start to make you wonder who the fuck this guy was i'm trying not to make spoilers here because um the first episode is fucking brilliant Uh, I guess as we go further along through the story, we start to realize this guy this guy's got a fucking past and a Mm -hmm. a past of some note. We have, we also meet the, who I suspect will be the uh, big bad of a series, who's played by, Billy, played by Olaf Dari Olofsson, which is a fucking awesome name. Mm -hmm. Um, You might recognize him. He's been in stuff like True Detective uh, Mm. uh, and Vikings, I think, and Severance. Um, so, uh, I don't remember in severance myself, but, um, some fail. Um, and he turns yeah. up the hospital, he turns up the hospital looking for the man. And it turns out he was the guy who was driving the truck. Um, but yeah. we start to put the pieces together that the man may not have been a very nice man. Uh, he might have, uh, done yeah. some stuff that, you know, he might be this version of himself might be a little bit ashamed of. Um, so you get to get notes there of Total Recall, you know, where uh, Hauser doesn't like was the uh, uh, the new, the new Quay. version Quaid doesn't like what Hauser was, you know, and Hauser wants his body back. It's not quite that mind bendy, but you get those sort of uh, little little tastes of, of the character. This is him. he doesn't know who he was. And the really? more he la- starts to learn about who he was, maybe he doesn't like the person he was very much. Um, episode one's a triumph of um, suspense and thriller storytelling in a one-hour TV format.
2: Okay, it looks,
1: it looks brilliant. It's got m- HBO Max money that's been sunk into it. it doesn't look cheap. Like a lot <laughs> of Australian, unfortunately, a lot of Australian TV productions can come off as cheap. Yeah, uh, cheap looking, and they kind of cut corners on budget. And they cut corners on actors and locations and, you know, they film something in Ballarat and go, oh, it's the Outback. Um, <laughs> this, this was shot out in the country somewhere. Um, it, it's uh, well-directed, well-written. The writers here, it looked like they are uh, both with a surnames Williams and they have been um, worked on things including Fleabag, um, oh, yeah. which I haven't seen but I know is uh, very highly respected. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, they've, they've done very well here um, to write a really intriguing um, story for, for television. And I fully intend from here to, to actually finish the series. And I guess I'll come back to it. I'll revisit it. I'll give everyone a blow by blow as we work through the next four episodes. There are six episodes. Um, I'll come back to the end and give everyone a synopsis of what happens at the end. But cool, uh, this is some of the better TV I've seen this year. It's okay. that good. It is that good. Uh, at least the first two episodes. You know, we've been fooled before. Yes, um, we uh, Lovecraft Country. I am looking at you. Um,
3: <laughs> we
1: have varying opinions on Lovecraft Country. <laughs> but, um, if you have Stan in Australia, mm-hmm. this is definitely worth a look. If you have HBO Max overseas. Same deal. Yeah, I don't know where else it's showing on other things. It's probably obviously showing in the UK somewhere because the BBC, as I said, have ordered another season. But um, mm. this is really good, really worth your
0: time. Excellent, excellent, very good. Now,
1: have you anything else?
0: Uh, yeah, I just go want, want to quickly uh, duck into Morbin time. Oh, of course, we couldn't miss out on Morbin time my god can you do,
1: can we do more than in five minutes or less let's see y-
0: yes I can don't watch it <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's it's it, it's not not bad but it's also really not good it feels like <laughs> people have been people have been saying about Black Adam feeling like a, a superhero movie from the late 90s early 2000s Morbius suffers from that even more it's got the typical trope of most superhero movies where it's like, oh, the superhero gets his superpowers and then the villain gets his powers and is just a dark mirror of the superhero himself. Okay. The only saving grace of this whole movie is Matt Smith. And Matt Smith, from the sounds of it, with I haven't watched House of Dragon, but I did watch him. In Doctor Who, and he has turned up in some interesting uh, roles. Like, even though I didn't like Last Night in Soho, he was interesting in that role. Um, he I think he's going to be a strong actor going forwards, so I really do. Um, he is clearly enjoying himself in this. He is, you mentioned chewing scenery earlier tonight, Nicolas yes. Cage level chewing scenery. Yes, C. Matt Smith. Yes, yes, he he enjoys that fibre of the set. <laughs> um, Jared Letho is there was something in the trivia saying, "Oh, yes, Michael Morbius is the closest character that I've ever had working as me, so I didn't have to go into his notorious um, method acting, but apparently he still made sure that he was." pushed around on set everywhere because he didn't want to walk It's so like mm, that still sounds like a dick move sorry um the effects aren't awful but they're also very 90s it's like why why is there this kind of colored steam coming off of everything is this what are you trying to represent why is everything in purples pinks and reds it's, it's is this actually a trance video? I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> get. It. It's it's a bizarre choice. Um, Jared Harris turns up and doesn't really get a chance to do anything except die. Um, no one else does anything of any worth. Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes turns up because my god. Sony are still so, so, so desperate to get the Sinister Six. Fucking hell. They've been trying since the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie to do that, and they've still not reached it yet, because everything else that they have produced that isn't Spider-Man... is trash. ...has been trash.
1: I don't know how they got... Craven... I don't have
0: any hope for Craven the Hunter. I... I have no interest in watching Craven the Hunter. It's Aaron Taylor Johnson, who patchy work at at best at the moment. I mean, you watched him in something the other week. It's really good in bullet train. Yeah. So maybe it'll come randomly out of left field, but I think this is going to be another one. It seems to be the, the trait that I think I have spotted is in the producer. Avi Arad. He's a guy who was producing all of this. Um, the first Sam Raimi he's he's, I think he's officially been involved in all of the Spider-Man stuff because he's just got his claws in that franchise and he's never letting go. But he also did like Daredevil and Ghost Rider and all of the ones that kind of killed superhero movies before they'd even started to truly live. And he's still around. He's a bit it seems to be a bit like a somewhat less impressive in failure version of Simon Kinberg.
2: Hmm.
0: So hopefully they can shake him and actually go, you know what, let's just get someone else instead and make these good. And then like, like we, we already know this was sitting on a shelf for a long time. For a long time. And then they re-released it twice at cinema. Oh yeah. $296 per screen.
1: (laughs) Disappointing, I, it's it's you know what? I liked the first 10 15 minutes of this, and I thought, okay, this could be interesting. Why does everybody say this is so bad? And then you're like, oh, okay, oh, mm. yeah, this just fell off a cliff.
0: The only bit that I laughed at as enjoying was where Matt Smith and, and him are having the fight in the subway, and he does a funny little dance thing, it kind of reminded me of kind of Sam Rockwell. And him just very clearly enjoying being able to walk as a character for the first time. It's like, you don't get any of that from Michael Morbius. When he transformed, it was like, oh, this, this is so weird, and I've got to be so stoic and serious, and I'm, I'm the good guy. So, no, I'm sorry. Anyone who is denied the simple ability of anything, whether it's walking or or anything at all the first time you can do it without pain or without even having to think about it and just doing it and just enjoying that pleasure it is going to be a fucking joy so show it They're no, not I'll just be stoically going oh yes this is Hmm, i really have to consider this it's like no you have a fucking joygasm.
1: <laughs> Not much about this film makes sense, so I think you're on a you're on a hiding than nothing if you try and make it make sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: because this film stunk. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, we are at the two hour mark,
1: and I will I let that. our uh, let people get on with their day, their evening. Uh, the blood run back into their ass if they're sitting down somewhere um, and say, thank you for listening. We have topped the 6,000 subscriber mark. Yes,
2: we have.
1: people like us who don't try very hard, let's face it, <laughs> it's really
0: good. Minimum effort. Yeah, Minimum. so
1: thank you. If you're one of those 6,000, thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And like I said last week, if there is something with merchandising, Merchandising, merchandising. Let us know. We can create it now. produces have- Producers, the lunchbox. Armchair produces the air freshener. <laughs> it just stinks up the joint. <laughs> it smells like an oily rag. <gasps> the circle is complete. We are through the looking glass. My God. That is why he's paid the big bucks, ladies and gentlemen.
1: That's why we get no discount from our sponsors every week, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh <laughs> thank
0: so, you. So thank you so much. Just recapping this show, we talked about our chain movie of the week. Dreamcatcher, Travis has picked the pawnbroker. Gonna be an interesting one to go through and after. Um we talked. <laughs> We talked about School of Good and Evil on Netflix. Um, A Star is Born got high praise from Travis. Um, We had Cabinet of Curiosities and Werewolf by Night, for care of me. Um, The Tourist, very good stuff, sounds like there. And The Stinker, that is Morbius. We will be back this time next week, ladies and gentlemen. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations please shoot us up over on facebook over on twitter over on twitch or on youtube.com slash armchairproducers we would love to get some recommendations and thank you very much by the way pat for popping in to say hello if you're still there i'm impressed you are a glutton for punishment but you have worked in retail for more than five years so that's a given good night ladies and gentlemen we'll see you next time see ya